0: Hi, this is Amber, and you're listening to Amber on Podcast. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to episode number 16 of Amber on Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and joining me here today. I'm bringing you another origin story. And I've spoken before about how much I love origin stories. And the reason is, is because as I build things in my life, and I I try to achieve great things and work toward my goals, it's really, really great to hear from other entrepreneurs, other builders, other people who have done exactly what I desire to do and what their stories are because I find them so inspiring and so relatable that it, it helps give me a peace of mind that that makes me believe that I'm on the same path and the same track uh, as they have experienced uh, their success throughout their life. And when I can draw similarities or understand different things that they share in their origin story, new theories, new ideas new concepts. I feel I feel a lot of growth happens as a result. And I feel like I get a little closer to being able to achieve what I want to achieve in the same way that they have achieved their success. And so that is the reason, the long reason, dissertation why I'm covering another episode of How I Built This, hosted by Guy Raz. And it's not just because this podcast is the shit and Guy Raz is also the dopest pod host in the game, but it's because these origin stories really give me life, yo. So let's get some life into you too. Here we go, start the show. Barbara Corcoran. Probably you know her from Shark Tank. I don't really watch any television, and that sounds as pretentious as it is. No, but really, I don't really watch very much television, and I have seen her face, although I did not know her name. Barbara Corcoran was interviewed by Guy Raz on How I Built This. And I love this interview so much for a lot of reasons. One of which is its origin story, but also because I love hearing from female founders, and there aren't a lot of them, and there aren't a lot of them that have been interviewed on podcasts. So when I hear them being interviewed, I'll usually try to cover it on my show because it's so wildly helpful for me. And as you guys know, or if you don't know, I will tell you. If it's helpful for me, I want to share it with you guys because I believe that I—it's certainly not—I'm only—I'm not solo in this. This appreciation of the knowledge. And I think that Barbara Corcoran did an amazing interview. This is actually the second time they've aired it on the How I Built This podcast. I missed it the first time, but I'm so glad I caught it this time around. First things first. I want to take you guys through a bit of the history and the entire, the entire origin story of Miss Barbara Car- Corcoran, Mrs. Barbara Corcoran. I'm going to get this right. And it's because there are a lot of things that that she explained in her life story that I really, really felt were very relatable to me and to a lot of other people, not just women, but a lot of other people in life. And she starts out as a young girl, and she's horrible in school. Like, she's making all Ds. She's really, really a bad student. She's the second of 10 children growing up in New York City or New Jersey, actually. And her mom is trying to, you know, uh, encourage her and make her feel like she's not such a fuck-up because she's not making good grades, and she's really discouraged by this. And she said that her mother had— a really great knack of picking out something wonderful in each child. And she would say, oh, it's okay if you're not good at this because you're really good at this. And in Barbara's case, it was the case that she was really horrible in school and she was having a hard time reading and writing, but she had a really, really great imagination. Her mother said that she had the gift of imagination. So even if she didn't know the the answers, she could just make something up. And this proved to be be true for her entire her entire life and what has attributed to a, a large amount of her success I would argue as well. Barbara grows up and she is working as a waitress at a diner and one evening this man walks in. And his name is Raymond Simon. And he's dressed dapper as fuck. He looks super, super fly. He has a really nice car. They end up dating, fall in love. And they're dating. And she ends up moving in with him. Now, he's already a success. And she is is still pretty young. And he's a lot older. At this point, she'd already worked like something like 20 jobs in her life. And so she had a bit of experience. And he was doing some real estate brokerage. And so they ended up going into business together. After she meets him, they move in together, they go into business together, and they build this real estate brokerage firm, and it's quite successful. And after 7 years of running this firm together, being successful as a couple, she, Barbara Corkin finds out that he is dating her secretary and he is in love with her secretary and they want to get married. Now, that fucking sucks. <laughs> and She said something that was really interesting when she was telling this story, and I I was just kind of taken aback when she said it because I thought, wow, this is so – like, she's so humble and so wise for – I mean, I guess it's been a long time, but it's just so wise for putting – thinking about this the way that she does, and I thought it was – a really valuable way to think about it because something similar has happened to me where I had been cheated on by a long-term relationship. And this point of view was really helpful for me at that time as well. But she said, you can, I, she's like, I couldn't be mad at two people falling in love. That's not It's not fair. People fall in love. They can't help it. They fall in love. Like, that's what it is. And then she says with, with great humility, she's like, I was really angry at him, but I was directing my anger towards her, towards her secretary. She wanted to fire her, and her boyfriend, Raymond Simon, at the time, he did not want to fire his fiance. They were getting married in three months, and he didn't want to fire her, understandable, and it just so happened that he owned the majority stake in the company, 51%. So she says in the interview as well, she's like, I I quickly understood what that 1% was going to mean. And it was going to mean that his fiance, her former secretary or still secretary, was going to be staying employed at the same office that they both ran. They were co-partners in. Flash forward a year and she finally gets the courage to go to him and say, look, we're going to break this thing up. Like, I'm going to take my piece. You're going to take your piece. Or we're both going to go on our merry way. Now, she's incredibly devastated by this. I don't want to put this lightly. And it's so much that Guy Raz actually asked her in the interview, he says, do you, are you just like hardwired as a really tough person? Like this must have been really hard for you to work side by side with this man who you were in this long-term relationship with and his, his new lover. And are you just hardwired to be tough? And she's like, absolutely not. And the reason that he he thought this too is because she went out and she started her own company and he was like, well, you just kind of bounced back and just kind of got right back into action. And she was like, absolutely not. I had no idea who I was or what to do with myself. I thought that all the success that I had experienced in my life was attributed to him because he was you know, my mentor and he was a lot older than me when we first met and we had just gone through so much together. He had really taught me so much and built this business together and I really wasn't sure I was going to be able to do anything without him. Until on her way out the door, he says to her that she will never be successful without him. And bada-bing, that's it. That's all she needs to be motivated enough to go on and be successful. Because she said that she's good when she's insulted, that it motivates her. And it gets her to perform in a way that she wouldn't otherwise. And it was it really hit a button with her because she, when she was a kid, she was making really bad grades. There was a teacher that told her she would never amount to anything either because she was stupid. It called her stupid. And this man, her ex, telling her that she would never be successful without him, she was like, oh, let me just show you real quick. And so she did. Now, the way that she went about her success and the creativity that she exhibited during this time is what I find the most exciting because this means to me, the way that she approaches this, the story that I'll get to in just a moment here, this means to me that Anyone at any time it, with any resources is capable of something this great, something as imaginative and something as successful to get real results just based purely on a good idea that can return results overnight. So this is what she did. After she separated from Raymond Simon and started her own for- firm, just the Cochrane Group, Corcoran Group, she had 11 sales over the course of a year. They're still growing, but she knows she has to keep she has to be able to pull in a lot more business in order to keep this thing going. So, She takes all the 11 sales and divides them by 11 to figure out what the average is, the total sales by 11, this number of of apartments she sold. She gets to this figure and she writes on a, types on a piece of paper, average selling price for New York real estate, one bedroom apartments or something like this, and puts the number there. And at the top, she writes the Corcoran Report, and then below the big number, it's just a very blank on the page, but below that number, she writes some facts, and just she says she just tries to fill up the entire page with some mumbo-jumbo about, about the industry and about the market. And she sends this Corcoran Report out to every single writer who was writing for the New York Times at the time, sends it over to them. For two weeks, nothing happens. She never hears anything from the paper or anything like that. But after two weeks, she gets the paper, Sunday paper, and the real estate section is enormous at this time because this is in like 1970s, late 70s New York City. So it's kind of a shit show in New York City. Um, They're really, really in debt. There are a lot of people going bankrupt there. There was a lot of drug use. The city was really dirty. I mean, New York City had a lot of problems during that time frame. And in the paper, everyone read the paper, and the paper, the biggest ad ad revenue generating portions of the paper are the real estate section and the automobile section. Because those are the places that, two pe- that people are going most often. And that's where they're selling the most ads. And this is, of course, pre-internet. And she goes to the real estate section two weeks after sending this out to the newspaper writers. She goes there. And right there on the front page, it says, Publish on the front page of the real estate section in the New York Times that New York City apartments at all-time low, according to Barbara Corcoran, president of the Corcoran Group. Booyakasha. She got instant credibility. More listings, more calls overnight because the New York Times, the biggest publication, has the most. If you were look, if you're looking to sell, you're looking to buy, you're doing any real estate at all, you're looking at that paper. It gave her instant credibility and completely changed her business for the better. Now, one of the important things that she mentions when Barbara mentions when she's telling this story is that. If she had been a larger firm, a larger company, she would have had to go and get, you know, the approval from attorneys and and, and vet this figure and figure all of these things out before they would have sent it out to get published in The New York Times. Since she was small and just her, and also there was no real data back then, there weren't a lot of numbers being published in general, she was really the first to do so. And that's what made it such a game changer for her is that she was revealing a number. And then the New York Times ended up using this number as a label to illustrate what was going on in the industry and in, in the economy, which is they we were in a recession, basically. Like, the, the you know, this is right before the, the stock market crash and eventually happened in 1987. But there are a slew of bad things that happened prior to that. And this was one of them. So she so happened to have her real estate brokerage firm that was still her uh, that was still doing business, doing great business. And this only helped her achieve even greater success until as I mentioned they got to the stock market crash of 1987 and pretty much what she says is that she started to look around her and all of her competitors were just gone and she was still there but she was barely barely hanging on she was really about to file for bankruptcy but she had three hundred thousand dollars in debt that she owed to some of her vendors and she didn't want to just leave them hanging there were advertisers New York Times people that had helped her grow her, helped her grow her business and by filing bankruptcy what happens is automatically they're not going to get their money back so she really wanted to be able to make good on those relationships and be able to pay those people back before filing for bankruptcy. She had to downsize significantly and, and make a lot of drastic cuts in order to still stay afloat until she gets to her last option, which happens to be selling 88 apartments in Manhattan. The 1987 stock crash was stock market crash, rather was a bloodbath. Those are her words, and it just so happens that one of the largest developers in New York City reached out to Barbara and asked to help, asked her to help them sell these 88 apartments. Now, this is quite challenging for her, and she was ready to take it on because she know, she knew she needed to pay down this $300,000 in debt, but there was no market to sell these units. So she went and took a tour of eight or nine of these units and she saw they were just not marketable. They were they were for a desperate market and there was no market. So how was she going to sell all of these apartments and get commissions on it so she could pay down her debt? She decided to go, she decides to have a public auction. And she goes back to him. And she says, yo, let's have a public auction. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. We can't risk our reputation. Have everybody know that we're having this public auction. It's like we're going out of business. And he says to her, I know you're really, really smart. You'll think, of something so she goes home and she's under a lot of pressure mind you and then when you're under a lot of pressure this is what she says to it Barbara says she's like when you're under a lot of pressure you you are you it's a good thing in life because you're really forced to think you know you get MacGyver with your situations when you're under pressure and that's what happened to her she remembered when she was a kid and she was watching this woman she was with her mother in the park and she was watching this woman that was selling these little uh, terrier puppies in, in the park and it was in a, a nicer neighborhood and there were all these like wealthy people around just you know being very combative and arguing and, and fighting over over these puppies and her mom making a statement at that time being oh she's so smart to sell these puppies she told everybody to come at the same time and now everyone wants to buy these puppies because they know that they're in such high demand they don't want to lose out So flash forward to Barbara and her 88 apartments that she needs to sell, and she decides to use the same approach. She goes back to her sales agents, the few that she has left, and she says, contact your best customers, your number one customers, family members. Let them know that we're having a secret sale. Can't be open to the public because we don't have enough to offer for everybody. But call your best clients and tell them we're having a secret sale. And she prices all the apartments at the same price. If they're one bedroom, all the same. Two bedrooms, so on, all the same. Which is something that nobody was doing in the industry. And there were marketable differences between the apartments. You know, some were on the third floor, some were on the 20th floor. Some had a view, some had no view. So by doing so, she created demand. And the following morning when she showed up, to sell all these apartments, there were 60 people waiting in line at 7 a.m. An hour and a half into the sale, that hour and a half, so we're talking from 7 a.m. till 8.30, Barbara Corcoran had made over a million dollars in commissions. And that would be a Buya kasha, too. Two for two. I'm really impressed by her. I love her the story. I think it's so cool how creative and how successful she was as a result. And it, it just makes perfect sense to me. I'm like, "Yes, that's exactly right." It just it makes it, it, this her story, it just seems so linear, like she was writing it like it wasn't even the real life experience. like this one step to you know leads to the next step and leads to the next step. and it just it makes perfect sense. It's just so genius. so needless to say, she is able to pay back all her debtors, and she ends up buying an entire renting an entire floor of a New York building because she can. She actually has the resources. She ends up growing her real estate business, and then in two thousand and one, she decides to sell it and well she decides to sell a little bit for, a little bit before that but in 2001 she does sell it for her lucky number and This lucky number is $66 million, but it wasn't lucky until she got offered the $66 million cash for her business. The original offer she got was $23 million. She said, no, I want $66 million. Waited, came back, $66 million, kasha, sold. Then, as most of you know, she goes on to reinvent herself as an investor on Shark Shark Tank, which has been going on for now. I think they're on their 10th season, so it's about 10 years or so, and she has lots of investments across the board. And actually, one of the things I recently saw when I was researching this story for you guys is a. she just recently released a podcast as well. So I will mention that at the closing of the show, my podcast recommendations. But one of the biggest things that I took from this interview is something that happened toward the end of the podcast interview with Guy Raz and that he asked Guy Raz asked Barbara Corcoran if if she has a, a bias toward those who come from nothing. And she says, absolutely. She prefers people working with people who came from nothing. And she says that they had an investing in people who came from nothing because she says they have a better chance of succeeding. And it's because she argues, they're more desirous. They, they haven't had a fancy vacation or a new car or private schools or anything like this, so they aspire to it and they get more satisfaction out of climbing the ladder to get to it. They're also more appreciative. They've seen their parents struggle to provide for them and to get the things that they want. So they really, really appreciate things that come their way. And lastly, they're totally free from expectation. They have a lot more freedom to fail. And this all of this was really important to me because I'd never heard of any of this before. I didn't know of this bias. And I am so comforted in it because I didn't come from very much either. And I didn't realize that you had such a leg up if you had humble beginnings. You actually really are quite fortuitous and lucky because you have such a great foundation to grow from. Because you don't have as high expectations set on you. So, for example, if you look at, I don't know, you're the first person to go to college in your family. Okay, let's say you fail out of college. Well, okay, whatever. It's, it's still okay because you were still the first person to go to college out of your family. That's an amazing, uh, you know, amazing accomplishment. However, if everyone in your family went to Ivy League school, and then, you, of course, you're going to be really pressed to get into an Ivy League school. And, and if you fail out of that Ivy League school, I don't think there's any success. There's no t- nothing to take from that because if you're like a failure against the rest of your family, they're all going to be measuring you up against that you're up against t- something completely different she's barbara actually says that now she has children of her own that have grown up quite privileged and says it's quite challenging to be able to instill this in them and sort of shield them from her success that it's not going to be as easy for them they're not going to have the same freedom that she did to fail and to succeed because on the heels of all of her failures and all her rejection came her biggest successes which is amazing. That's like my favorite story arc ever. When you go through shit, there's always great stuff on the other side. Don't forget guys. And also the majority of us are less fortunate. The majority of us are the ones that are set up for success. I thought that was incredibly inspiring because hello, we're all capable of doing exactly what she's done. So let's do it. More good for more people most of the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to episode number 16. This was one of my favorite ones to cover for you guys. I really enjoyed listening to this interview. So if you're interested beyond what I covered here, please go check out the podcast, How I Built This by Guy Ross. I will link it in the show notes for you. As always, you can catch all the show notes, any additional information, reach out to me at my website, mytalkingdollars.com. Dot com. Also, please, the best thing you can do, rate me, subscribe, give me your rating, a review. I would really appreciate it. It's the best thing you can do. Let me know I'm doing a good job for you guys. Until next time, do more good for more people most of the time. Thank you. Love you. Bye. As promised, your podcast recommendation is Barbara Corcoran's podcast, Business Unusual is the title. Business Unusual with Barbara Corcoran. She has three episodes to date. They just got started in May 2018, and whenever this podcast is coming out, we'll be close to that. But. It's really, really great. i listened to all three episodes so far. They're really short. It's really well produced. It's straight to the point. And that's actually really hard to do, guys, is to reduce your podcast down to seven minutes or ten minutes. So I give her mad props. She's amazing. She's a genius. Check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. Thanks. See you next week. Bye.